Hello, my name is Scott Cameron. This is The Joys of Teaching Literature. If you want to know more about me, you can go to my website. It's theteachersworkshop.com. I offer self-paced professional development for high school English teachers. Uh, so kind of wrapping up this year, not just yet in New Jersey. I know around the country a lot of schools are already probably out. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just doing my normal reflection on you know, what went well, what didn't, <laughs> there's probably a lot that did not go well this year. It's funny because I was just telling my uh, wife a story that, you know, I had a class um, early on in the day today where I just felt like things were falling apart, like people weren't ready for the presentation, there's like limited number of slides for this uh, assignment that I gave, uh, did a lot of lecturing myself, I feel like I was doing most of the work and the kids weren't contributing. And then later on in the afternoon, I had a class where it was just insane. It was amazing. And the kids were doing way more than I expected. And they had this, we were studying Beloved. So the student had a, a video about, can we erase memories? And I guess some, I guess there's some drugs, medications now that, that's making that, we're getting pretty close to that happening. Or I, it's, it's almost ridiculous. I feel, find myself like, you know, saying stuff out loud that I can't believe it's true almost. I didn't do enough research myself to know that, that we can erase memories, but it sounds like we're getting closer that we can. And um, I think the video was sort of exploring the possibilities, like how the science is already there. And uh, yeah, I, but I do remember an article sort of verifying that it's kind of interesting because I'm teaching um, film appreciation as elective and we're doing Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And so we're sort of in that zone in that class. And I remember reading an article about how basically what's going on in Eternal Sunshine uh, could possibly happen in real life. Um, so that's really hard to wrap your head around because in some ways that's cool. Uh, you know, you can't imagine the grief that people are going through and post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, just a variety of different reasons why. But, you know, even in Eternal Sunshine, we, we were just watching... A scene where the <laughs> a person was sitting there with all their their stuff from their dog and I guess they were there to kind of erase their memories of their dog and I you know kind of was a little bit of a funny moment but losing a dog myself I'm like man um I, at the time you'd like to erase it but I would I would never want to erase the memory of my dog um but anyway so I kind of you know the movie just opens itself up to questions about erasing memories uh but in the context of beloved what we're talking about an individual's memory. This actually, a student of mine made this great observation. Like on an individual level, this might be not not too terrible of a thing. But if you think about history, you know, a lot of history is stories and experiences that people go through. And if you just go around erasing those things that they've been through because they're traumatic, where would the rest of society be at? Because we wouldn't be able to to remember uh, these terrible things that happened, and and then, you know work as a society to try to not make those things happen again whatever solutions we come up that we come up with to prevent those things from happening to people um, those stories are, are essential to the to future generations um, and so in beloved this is all really interesting kind of exploration of, of memory and that that was the topic that we were on today is the, the sort of workings of well, well as narr narrator would say rememory Anyway, I think, <laughs> don't worry, there's a, a podcast and a blog about Beloved uh, coming in the, in, in the near future because 
I really think that that book is one of the best books, maybe the best book um, that I've ever read. Um, and actually, I had some doubts about teaching it last because I felt like um, I would be losing my seniors' interest, kind of like in the early part of today, because uh, it's such a difficult book. It's really long. It's it's kind of just a long poem, really. Um, but uh, but but really, I'm, this is you know again since we're thinking about reflection, I I think you have to teach it last because it's one of the most complicated. It makes Hamlet look sophomoric. I mean, it makes Hamlet look like a joke, which I I, I never thought I'd say that out loud because Hamlet. You know, I think on first reading, Hamlet was one of the most complicated pieces of literature that I've ever read. I've been teaching it for, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years. Um, so, you know, year after year, you dismantle it a little bit more and you, you know, you unfold the meaning for yourself a little bit more and you get familiar with almost every single line in it. And it doesn't, have, it doesn't pack the same punch, I guess, when you, when you first read it. So I just, you know, just teaching Blum for the first time. Um, so maybe that's why, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I do this, even as we're comparing, we're comparing Beloved to, to Hamlet and then we're comparing it to, uh, to Great Expectations, which is so much fun because Saddest House and 124 have these incredible parallels. But again, it makes Dickens look like he's just scratching the surface of the symbolic potential of a home. And, um, so that's all. It's just, it's, it's oddly appropriate in the, in the place where it is. But anyway, you know, it's, I'm kind of just looking back on the year. And so I'm titling this, this podcast, um, new year, new ideas. It's hard to imagine that anything positive will come out of this year, but I've been thinking about what, if any <laughs> lessons I've learned from teaching hybrid. We were asked to cover the essentials, to organize all of our materi materials and handouts online and to keep our students engaged from behind a screen and from the front of the room. So that was interesting kind of that's a super frustrating thing I think for myself is just not being able to walk around the room. Now I'm, I'm kind of loosening up a little bit. A lot of people are vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. We are you know, still wearing masks. So I can kind of float around a little bit and it's fine, but you know at first it was like, okay, so I'm just supposed to stay all the way up here and talk to the people online and all that stuff. And even now that the year's over, because um, you know you put stuff online certain years depending on the activity, but to put the whole year online, and we're using uh, Canvas to put the whole year online. Now I'm looking at my year on this one website. You know, so over the over time, I learned to I kind of had this in my mind early on that I wanted to make things really compact, like simplify it, so that you could just almost like the whole year in one page, like a really, like a, like a page page, not a web page, but a piece of paper. Uh, it didn't succeed. It wasn't that short, but I, I did make it short enough where I could just glance at the year and just look at what we did. I made our, I made the, the modules themselves. Um, well, really the assignments within the modules. Uh, those were the things that really were, that were kind of these big baggy monsters with all the, pa I scanned all the passages from the book so we didn't have to, go crazy looking I couldn't give books out in a lot of cases so but but I still wanted to have this sort of text-based discussion so I actually scanned all the pages that we covered in class and so if somebody missed class or sick or whatever they could always just reread the passages um, in these like massive PDFs that I put online but <laughs> so that was all just like what do you what do we do with that now like what you know it's just I think like I was actually thinking about that. Like we're going to go into next year and you know have to go back to the old like all the old stuff that we did before 
you know, but we tailored this year to just online learning. And at the same time, all of my students now are one-to-one, -one, what's called one-to-one, -one, where each student has a computer, uh, which we weren't that way before. We just had computers kind of floating around the different classrooms. And, you, you know, that was interesting because we didn't even, we didn't even know that we could get access to a computer. So a lot of, you know, you might hope to get a, a set, a class set of computers for your class, but, but you know, how does that, that's a huge thing. How does that change instruction? You know, a kid has, has a computer in their back. You could ultimately do a lot of technology based assignments, whereas you couldn't do that before. Uh, but there's a danger to that. And I think our district is really smart because it, it didn't, it believes in the pen and paper. And I'll never forget the uh, guy who discovered that, I think it was the Higgs boson. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Um, is this the God particle, they called it? Yeah, I think it was Peter Higgs. Is that his name? And uh, he was on 60 Minutes. I, I love this episode. I think he's a Scottish guy who talked about um, discovering the, the God particle with a, with a piece of paper and a pencil. And uh, because they, in the, in the episode on 60 Minutes, they, they took you through the CERN um, in Switzerland, I think it's called. And it's this huge machine where you have to like shoot particles around. And they, I guess they want to figure out if it's perfectly round or something like that. But anyway, um, you know, it's, it's like you know, millions and millions of dollars of scientific equipment, basically. And he was just joking. Like, I never had any doubt that, that, that it existed because I proved it on paper with a piece of paper and a pencil. So I like that idea. And I, I, we still have blackboards at my school, which I love. There's always these student teachers that come in like, you guys still have blackboard, like chalk, black, like you use chalk? Like you guys still use chalk? <laughs> like I like love chalk. It's so fun. I just, it's like sort of ridiculous that somebody would say, like, you don't, like, what do you mean? There's schools without black, like chalkboards? Like what do you, how can you teach without a chalkboard? Like what do you, you know? This, the, the technology of, uh, of chalk to me is, is awesome because it gets kids off the out of their seats and, you know, you can erase it and it does its job, you know, there's, I don't know. Anyway, so um, at the same time, I, I, you know, I know what I'm, I miss about in-person learning. Um, there's about a million things, right? That's one of them, you know, get, get some chalk it up. And I noticed that actually our chalkboards, like no one used them this year because I, I guess you just can't have kids writing on the board next to each other and uh, everything's online. So why would you, you know, you can't show kids at home a chalkboard. I was actually thinking that with my daughter in kindergarten. Like, how do you teach a kindergartner with no chalkboard? And actually, we have, I have a chalkboard in my house. Uh, it's just, you know, use some paint and just a little wall that I use. And we use it all the time. And she, like, it's just a part of learning, writing the letters, seeing how the, the shapes form and all the beauty of a let, the shape of a letter. And anyway, um, you know, in, in person, obviously you can just talk to, especially with those kids that a lot of kids slip through the cracks this year. Um, the benefit of being in person is that you can kind of float around a room and, um, ask them, talk to them about stuff they missed, or they can just chat with you. You have that classroom culture established. There was no, I mean, I, yeah, I tried as hard as I could to make, to create some kind of classroom culture where I was approachable and just cracking jokes and being a f funny person and uh, somebody they can talk to a little bit, you know, about about whatever's going on in their life. And especially this year, kids have a lot going on in their life. And to put that in an email and to, you know, come out with these kind of, I don't want to call them secrets, but these things that are going on in the, in the home, you always want to talk about it. 
but you do need an extension on the work, right? And you, or you just need to be excused for it because it's in the grand scheme of things not worth it, you know. And I know we try to keep the, the standards the same for every student, and we want the same to work from every student. Uh, but this year we learned to be really flexible uh, with with those kinds of excuses, and but but normally we're not, right? And why why aren't we? Because th those things are still going on in kids' homes. You know, they have jobs, they have people who get sick, they. Uh, have kids, siblings to take care of. They have mental illnesses they're dealing with. I mean, all, all that stuff's still there. They just had to deal with it more often and more frequently because, you know, they might have been learning from a computer at home. Um, when you're in person, you know, in, in that same spirit, there's a, you can establish that connection with them by you know, greeting them at the door or floating around the room uh, just to see how they're doing. You know, they might not have... You know, made a plan in, in their, you know, in their planner or in their head, to hey, ask Mr. Cameron about this day I was out and missed the assignment or whatever it is. Um, but when you see them every day, you're there and you're doing group work or pair, you're working in pairs or whatever it is, and talking about the characters, the plot, the ideas, and um, you know, I got more e so many emails this year because I just. You know, you kind of, I mean, you can, a kid can come after class, virtually come after class, or, you know, now that we're more in person, they can come and talk to you. But I got a lot more emails this year. And when you see kid every day in class, you know, why would you email your teacher when you can just talk to him in class that day? And some kids don't want to, like, interrupt you. And, you know, I, I start my class right as the bell rings, and I end it when the bell rings. And then you got to get to the next class. They don't have that much time to get to the next class. You know, that sort of thing. So there's not always an opportunity to, to get time, you know, especially an email, you can think about what you want to say and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's not, yeah, you know, I'm not saying I, I don't like email, but, you know, that's one of the benefits of being in person is that that's it's just less, you know, of a necessity, I guess. Um, you know, and even things like that, you know, I didn't conference as much. I tried try to find ways to conference about essays. But we just had less time in class this year, so I just didn't I didn't get to that like I would in, in a normal year. We just actually have more class time, um, so you have to sort of provide more feedback, you know, in a, in a, on, on the you know as you grade the essay online. Um, but but those kinds of conversations are just way easier, uh, and it's also really easy to, to monitor the room and change plans. Right, you're like noticing that. Some people aren't paying attention, or they're drifting off. They're not fully engaged. When you when you scan the room and look around really quick, you can get a feel for, uh, you know, are they taking notes? Are they eager to contribute to the conversation? Everybody loves that feeling, right? Where a bunch of hands shoot in the air to answer a really good question that you asked, or, you know. Uh, so that's it's it's possible online. Uh, it's not like it's not possible to know what's happening. Like even I today, I, you know, just described today, and then knowing that one class was not as on the ball as the other. Um, but online, you can you you know you figured out ways to do that too. Uh, you know, for instance, when I assign group work, I have them post a link to their to their work in a Google slide or Jamboard or whatever it is Google Google document, and that way I can click in and just see how much work they've completed. Okay, well, we're going to need you know 20 minutes to complete this tomorrow, or I see everybody's finished, so let's wrap it up. You know, so you can kind of keep track of time that way. So we found ways of, of doing that, 
um, which I, I sort of did that before the pandemic too. Um, but it's just, you know, it, it kind of happened more frequently where I was able to sort of monitor what they were doing online. Um, and of course, like I mentioned, students can come after class and talk to you just like they can in reality. In the end, we made it all work and it wasn't a complete disaster. Um, sure, there's going to be some gaps. You know, people are talking about that. Our kids going to be so behind next year. Some students became completely consumed by the stresses and distractions of life at home, but some thrived. And I, I'm like really still amazed at how many kids really, really thrived. And I think about like why, why did they do so well? They stayed focused. Think about it. We gave. I, I know. I don't know if I'm the same as everybody. I feel like most teachers tried to give less work to make it manageable. Uh, those those kids that that maybe struggled with the amount of work that we gave, were able to keep up. And they, they, in a lot of cases, this is interesting, and I think this is true with all students, they were able to devote more time to less assignments. So I don't know if what we lost, I don't know if we lost a lot there. I, in my class, I didn't notice that huge of a difference you know, in the writing quality of the writing um, because we were online. Um, and I kept getting surprised by that, like oh, I, you know, because I kept worrying are these, you know, my seniors going to be ready for college, but they seem ready, um, and I think that might be why, because in a regular year I might assign more assignments instead of getting more frequent practice, but in this case, even though I assigned less, I noticed that a lot of students spent more time on those few assignments. Um, and in some cases, I even gave like a page maximum, like don't write more than this, because I don't, you know, some kids I were just writing so much. Um, but in that, in some ways, it taught them to do what they do with an in-class assignment, which is, it's not so much I want you to write this really quickly in 45 minutes or whatever it is, but it's I want you to prioritize your strongest arguments and get to those first. And so if, if I set a maximum number of pages of an assignment, it didn't matter, you know, how much they wanted to say. They still had to pick and, and choose uh, the best quotes, the best arguments, um, and, and fit those in uh, to the to the page number page limit that I gave them. So I, I think I saw that. You know, it's kind of interesting to see that happen because I was getting really quality work, um, and it was because they weren't under this pressure, this time pressure. And they, part of me wants to teach them to manage time. Uh, you know, for, so that they can complete a lot of assignments in college, say, or whatever. Um, or it's just about it's kind of what intelligence is about, right? You want to be able to, to, to complete, you know, maybe read slowly, but but to write well and to write quickly is definitely an important skill. So um, I, th I feel like they might have gotten, they might have done that this year uh, in an odd way uh, by by just the, the style of what we, how we kind of ran class to compensate for for the amount of class time that we lost because we were dealing with a AB cohort or whatever it was. Uh, less work also meant less grades, which helps students uh, make better sense of their progress. Think about it. If you look at 20 assignments and try to make sense of the math, like where, how am I doing? Like, you know, what does this mean? It 20th, like making that, making that make sense doesn't, is, is difficult. Um, but if you have five, six, seven assignments, you know, for a whole quarter, you're like, okay, so I did this on this one, this on this one, this on this one, you know, so maybe you have three or four as you kind of approach the halfway point of the quarter and a couple more towards the end, 
but at least they they have they they can look at it and say okay you know i have i did these were my grades this quarter i can look at them and glance at them and know what what that means um, and i need to do this the next quarter if i want to do better or whatever it is um, so i think less grades i know i i've I myself, obviously, as a teacher, you know, it freed, I was lesson planning more. I was able to, you know, it freed me up to do other things that you could argue is are more meaningful than just, you know, grading a large quantity of, you know, small assignments or, or classwork assignments and that sort of thing. I group, what I, what I do is I group together a lot of my classwork assignments and just made it one grade. So I just kind of looked at the overall thing that they completed, notes they took in class. Uh, and I just graded it as a single thing instead of like, you know, again, making like 10, 15 assignments uh, from these little things that we do in class on a daily basis. It's, you don't have to, we don't have to grade them all the time. You know, I, I try to tell myself that before, but this year I really just, I had, it forced me into doing it instead of, you know, trying to hold them accountable for anything. And you can kind of randomly decide what assignments you're going to grade. And a lot of times this year I just looked at it and like, you know, I don't, I don't need to grade that. Some of them did it, some of them didn't. How much time do we spend on it? Just a couple of different sort of things to consider there. But in general, assigning less assignments didn't, I don't think it, it ruined anything. I don't think it made things worse. Um, the other thing is how much reading did we assign? I, th I think I, I'm pretty sure I, I might have missed one novel, um, but I think I, I taught as many novels as I normally do. But like, let's take that, let's go with that. Like maybe we didn't teach as many novels as we I heard people say, I didn't get to this novel. But really, if we didn't get to all of them, again, it's kind of like writing an essay. They just had more time to read the ones that we did assign. So those kids who either couldn't keep up and just fell, you know, fell through the cracks and just fell behind and kept falling more and more behind and felt like they couldn't catch up, those kids are suddenly in the game. Uh, and the kids who, say, really love reading and, say, read very quickly, they had the opportunity to actually take their time and to read slowly. Which really, uh, you know, if I actually listen talking about Beloved, I listen to uh, Toni Morrison read Beloved online, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's what reading should sound like. Like I don't, it was like a this weird epiphany where I was like, that's how I should be reading to my students, and it was just slow and helped you understand it. The emotions were there, um, so that's not a bad thing either. And and it helps them under if it helps them understand the piece. Who cares about quantity when it comes to how much they read? If they do it well, and they and as as opposed to just you know flipping through the pages and speed reading just to get it done because they're procrastinating. They have so much to catch up on. And they're trying to you know read a hundred pages by some deadline that we set for them. Um, they're not going to comprehend anything, and that's that's not good because we we are here to to get them to think for themselves. And to get them to think for themselves, we need to really um, allow them to, to immerse themselves in these words and 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 you know del read deliberately, right? Like they should if they really want to feel the emotion of the characters and visualize the places in the story. That's really the best way to read. Um, like think about that a lot. Like, am I giving them enough time to to read, but read in a way that the story is enjoyable and a pleasure? To read, not just because I need to get through eight or nine novels this year or whatever it is. Um, some of my students told me that they started to read outside more often. Think about that. I mean, this was a year to go outside. 
Um, and I don't th- I don't know in a normal year if I I might mentioned it once. Hey, you know you should think of like, I have this whole uh, early in the year I, I kind of talk to them about reading and how to read, where to read, you know, where you should go, what you should do when you read, turn off your phone, for instance. You know, try to get to the library if you have a bike, that kind of thing. Um, but but yeah, this year I think a lot of kids uh, were you know they were on the computers outside, uh, but they had. Yeah, they had. They they told me that they were reading outside more often. Yeah, fresh air, fresh air, natural light. I mean, think about what that does for the brain, and then in your comprehension of what you're reading, and you're not trapped inside. So it's an enjoyable experience to be outside. And obviously, it depends on the weather where you are. But um, that was a big thing, and I, I think I'm gonna try to work that more into uh, everything I do. Maybe even having class um, outside more often, uh, and just really pushing students to, to find places outside to read uh, so that they become you know enthusiastic readers it might be the space like if they're doing it in their bed they're getting tired you know if they're trying to do it in a space in their house where it's noisy or like I said where there's like, you know phones and those kinds of distractions so you know that this year has been a year like that again a lot of these kids are in their homes with their siblings with their parents are trying to work um, so it, you know, it kind of forced us to take on to create these new habits where we went outside our house to read, um, and and that's I think been a one good thing that's come out of this year too. Um, it's really it's 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 having out class outside this year. It's it's bizarre because I have this like Bluetooth speaker uh, that I brought I bring from my house. I have to like remember to charge it and stuff. Um, but like to hear somebody's voice out there and like the winds blowing and people are like riding their bikes by, um, it's just, it's peaceful. You have this kind of like, you have this quick distraction where you're like watching somebody on the street, you know, the kind of feeling when we were in school, we kind of looked out the window, what was going on in the world. And then you, you're here, you're like, you are there, <laughs> you're out in the world, sort of like on a lawn or whatever outside the school. Um, but if that, that, that quick distraction kind of like allows you to then go back and be focused again um in a, in a really relaxed but also you know intellectual and academically rigorous situation um so I, i've been really liking that um yeah, it might sound crazy but when i when a quiet shy student you know that normally i know normally wouldn't speak in front of a bunch of their peers because they're like worried about being judged or criticize or I'm not as smart as the next guy you know you have these students that raise their hand every time they're brilliant you know and they get intimidated by that they get really insecure about like how they're going to contribute to the I've had students like I remember I had a swimmer once um, who I had for the first time in class as a senior but I had her as a student before and she was joking with with her friends and was like Mr. Cameron I'm so terrified to say anything in your class (laughs) Like everyone's saying so such smart things and had nothing to do with like I don't think it had anything to do with the class because it is it was like I really try to run like a friendly kind of laid back class where we laugh and tell stories and kind of you know go off on tangents on different things related to the topic we're talking about but it was just her, it was her it was it was she just like you know is that kind of kid but you know it wasn't that she wasn't intelligent or not a great she was a great writer. Um, but some kids just get, yeah, I was a little bit that way in high school where I just kind of enjoyed listening to what everybody else said and was, was, I listened, I took note, really good notes. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting, um, to have that student, right, um, (laughs) talking from behind a computer screen and their, and their voices projecting throughout the classroom. We got these kind of like, 
I would say like they're not surround sound. It's going to make it sound like really fancy, but you can hear it like really clearly throughout the entire room. Um, I can adjust the volume if it's too high, too low, so we can just just get the right volume. I mean, you think about all the you know you get the HVAC unit and different noises going on in the classroom. You know, this was that was actually kind of nice. I'm not saying I'm gonna. <laughs> You know, you like have a student speaking to a computer and go to a speaker in the future. But, you know, um, it was just, again, one of the nice things from this year. Um, I realized that those students, though, right, really loved getting into the assignments where I would give them the opportunity to create a podcast. Uh, they really did well with video essays because they can just record their voice. Again, there's no eyes staring at you when you're recording a voice for a video essay. Um and so they really you know, thrived in those situations, which I think was nice. Um, and it, also conducting interviews, right? Um, they, they really did well with those sorts of assignments. Um, you know, and then there's the things I did, right? During my poetry unit, I didn't get um, time to read uh, Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie by Bob Dylan, which is a, it's a poem, not a, not a song. And it's, it's one of my favorite poems of all time. Actually, it's like five pages long, and it's just incredible. It's, I love reading it. And then uh, Tintern Abbey by William Wordsworth. Just you know, because they take so long to read, I just I never really got around to doing it. We were trying to hit all these different poems and stuff. and I typically don't analyze those poems, uh, so I kind of just let it go. Um, so I actually, because I didn't want to let it go, I... Uh, <laughs> I recorded an audio recording of the poem, and I don't know how many kids listened to it, but like I, nor I would never have done that in a normal year. Like, yeah, let me record a reading of this poem that I really like, love, you know, uh, reading in class. Um, but but maybe I don't know. I mean, maybe kids listen to it at home, and and I think there's a little bit there's some something intimate about listening to a recording. Intimate's probably the wrong word, um, but you know, there's something like where you can really hear someone's voice better. Whereas you're trying to, you know, say if the kids sit in the back of the room and they're ne next to the air conditioning unit or fans blowing, or somebody's trying to, you know, chat to them or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm I'm looking forward to like hearing about these different things that happened this year and and, and hearing their feedback on it. Um, I also created, in addition to audio recordings, I created screencasts of lectures. Of course, a lot of people are doing this with the flipped classroom, but again, I'm more of an in-person kind of guy. You know, I like to be entertaining and crack jokes, and um, uh, the idea of having, I'd rather just my students go home and read a novel. I think for some subjects, maybe the flipped classroom works, but for English, I just want them to go home and read the novel, and I don't want to spend any more time doing anything else. But anyway, you know, this year, I was like, okay, so if I can create a screencast of this one lecture that I've been did, I have to do on the structure of an essay or prosody or literary devices, which I give every year, and you know, I tweak, you know, I tweak it a little bit, but a metaphor is a metaphor, personification, metonymy, synecdoche. There's these things that we have to cover every year, right? So I was like, all right, so if I do it this year, then I'll have it for next year, uh, and maybe I do it in class, but it's just something I have online hey you missed class or you want me to if you want to go over that you know if you want to listen to it again it's online if you want it online so um, that's nice you know and again I would never have I probably wouldn't have done that I think I always had it in the back of my head like I've given this lecture so many times I should probably just record it like on a screencast um, and be done with it 
But I just always thought like, yeah, but kids want to hear this stuff in class. Like they want the explanation. They want to be able to ask questions and all that. Um, so this way they have both. They have, you know, I'll deliver it in class. And then, like I said, they can, if, hey, if you miss some, something or confused by something, you know, this, this lecture is online. You can kind of, you know, fast forward through it or skip through it. You know, if there's a particular device that you didn't understand, it's online if you want it. And that's, that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's an exciting thing. So that's maybe something we should sort of get think about getting into the habit of doing um, is, is the thing about those moments that, that kids could use that kind of like extra help um, by just repetition, you know, just by, I need to listen to that again. Oh, he said it's online. Let me go there. So I don't have to meet with him or whatever. You can always still do that. But um, yeah, and actually... I, I pointed them to it. I said, hey, remember those videos that I uploaded? Um, it was right before I teach AP Literature and Composition. So, you know, right before they took the test, I said, hey, if you want to just prepare for the test in some way or another, those videos are still online. So that was really use useful. At the beginning of the year, I, I never thought, <laughs> I never thought this whole thing would work. Um, I really thought, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I was worried about my own daughter in, in kindergarten. Um, and how behind she would be at the end of the year. It was it was slow going at first. I think everybody will never forget the beginning. Um, but event and especially the spring when we first went remote. Uh, but eventually she learned the sounds of the letters. Then she learned her sight words, and slowly and surely she learned to read. Um, it was amazing. It's just like seeing it click like that. And I just thought, oh yeah, she did it. She learned to read, which is what she's supposed to do. And um, her teacher was relentless. She stayed positive and caring and just kept plugging away and just kept keeping that smile on and <laughs> through those difficult moments behind a computer screen, you know, got people to pay attention and got them excited about, about learning. And she, she learned to love school more and more, as, as, especially when she went back in person. It was something that she really, really got excited about. Um, so she became grateful. Uh, you know, I think like the rest of us, like didn't realize what we had, you know, the Joni Mitchell song, and we didn't know what we had until it was gone. Uh, <laughs> I remember actually one Friday night, I was putting her to bed, and uh, she I, she said, what are we doing tomorrow? And I said, oh, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And she's like, we're not going, I'm not going to school. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we don't have school tomorrow, tomorrow's Saturday. Like, are you excited? Kind of like that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, we're gonna do all these different things, and uh, and she started to cry. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, you're crying?" And I laughed at her. I was like, "You're crying because you don't have school tomorrow." <laughs> like, that's just funny. Um, when's the last time you felt like 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 thinking about our kids? Right? I'll, I'll never forget. But she did that. I mean, and think think about it, right? How can how can we make our students sad <laughs> on a Friday night because there's no school the next day? You know, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen. But like, think about it. She she loves school so much that she wants to go every single day. And I just I I wish I really do try so hard to make my classroom this place. That kids look forward. Think about it. Think about how many classes you went to. You're just like really excited to go to that class. Um, and so I, you know, putting this in the context of a kindergartner who is who had the classroom taken away from her, 
right, who, who got a taste of what it's like and how exciting it is and how much she learns and accomplishing things and being proud of yourself and, you know, just getting new information about the universe every single day is a really exciting thing. And to be obviously, in her case, I'm sure it was to like, you know, have recess and go outside and run around and, and have those relationships and friendships and all that stuff is school is an amazing place. Um, and I think this year, you know, it, it, it helps us really, it reminds us of um, how great school is and, and, and what it's like if when it's just broken down to the bare bones, <laughs> like, like I kind of where I started with this podcast is like the essentials. Think about that. Um, it's just not as fun with the essentials, right? It's all the extra stuff. It's the conversations and pairs and groups and, you know, making posters and getting on the board and writing stuff and, you know, asking really good questions that they have to go then find the answer to and research and, you know, all, all these really exciting things that we, we, you know, we got them done this year, but um, it's important to remember all that. Uh, one of the most important things I've done to grow as a teacher is is to simply ask my students at the end of every year, because it's over, and they're seniors too, so especially in my case, um, you can ask, ask them, hey, what worked and what didn't? And I, with a sh very straight face, I'm like, I take these very, this, your feedback and what you have to say about me and the text that, that I assigned and the assignments and everything that, like projects that I assigned, I take it very seriously. I'm going to take notes as I read your responses. You can write paragraph responses. It doesn't have to be numbers all the time because for me, those are kind of meaningless sometimes. Like what does 60% really mean, right? What does 40% really mean? Does that mean you throw the book out if only 60% of them liked it? Like what, what's the number that, that prompts action? I, I just don't – like I, I understand numbers and stuff, but like I don't know. I like to hear a narrative because it feels more honest. Um, and they can be honest because at this point they can make it anonymous or whatever. Um, maybe they think you don't know who it is with their handwriting or whatever it is. But yeah, you know, um, you just get all of this great information. And, and every single year I do, I, cha I absolutely commit myself to changing something that I do, uh, whether it's how I give reading checks or whatever, projects, um, if they really like something, if they don't really like something, I know to keep doing it if they really like it. I know to stop doing it if they don't, uh, that sort of thing. A lot of them have books that they recommend. That's always valuable. Um, and so I, in the summer, I always sort of take those course evaluations and, and rethink the year. So this year, I think those will be particularly valuable. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just curious to know what, what they're going to say about about me, <laughs> like what who do they think I am this year? Maybe I like lectured more than I thought I did, or I don't know. Um, but it's it'll be good to get feedback just so I know, you know, what direction to take next year. And and these are partly the reason that I offer um, a self-paced online course because uh, I I'm hoping that cause I know that I love kind of taking the summer to just like press reset and. Um, take a real close look at what books I can toss, like, oh, I'm not going to teach that anymore, I'm going to teach this first, or, um, and I, I think it's really valuable that when teachers just exchange ideas with each other, we're all doing the same thing, but we're doing different novels, we're, we're approaching it in slightly different ways, what does project-based learning mean, um, 
you know, I have a section of the course is I call it Black Lives Matter in literature. So it's just, you know, those, it's just black literature and what black literature I, I, I teach and um, just gives you another kind of fresh set of eyes on how to approach these different sort of topics and issues. And um, I tried to pick, pick, pick topics that, that pretty much every English teacher that teaches in high school and actually had a middle school teacher take the course, such so she loved it. Um, that's, you know, it's, I, I always kind of like, what am I doing offering courses online and is this really worth it? But every single person that has taken my course um, has given me just amazing feedback. Um, they just, they loved it. They say, said they got all these ideas. At the end, I, I try to get, encourage people to uh, create a new unit or lesson out of what, you know, out of some of the thoughts that they've kind of had through taking the course. Um, I think that's valuable. You can walk away with something new that you created. Um, I basically give almost all the materials that I have in my classroom away for free. Uh, I just put it in a big, big file. Um, and you just download the one file and all the, all the different resources that I go over in the course are downloadable. So when I show you like a handout or some kind of PowerPoint that I go over in class, all those things are just shoved into this one folder that you can download. Um, and just using your class. So that's practical, right? Like I want, always want PD, I've taken so much PD where I don't really walk away with anything. Um, and I think to walk away with a bunch of material from a, a, some of, you know, maybe some of the novels you don't teach, maybe you will think about teaching them. Um, but even things like checklists and, uh, you know, just gives you different ideas for how to rework some of the materials that you have in your class um, and how to you know, I have a kind of unique approach to, to teaching novel. I have a unique approach, I think, to doing um, project-based learning, um, where it's really, it's not, it's not a lot of work outside of school. I want to make it this kind of fun thing where they can explore different topics. And um, I don't do any work. They, they do all of it. They love engaging in the conversations with it. As a part of the feedback that they give me on my course, they always talk about this project, these projects that I assign and how much they love them and how much they love taking the breaks to just talk about different things. And um, so again, I, I kind of take their feedback on the course, um, on my the course that I teach my students in high school, and uh, you know just kind of punch it up and then do more of it the next year. And so that's kind of what I'm offering in my online course is a, uh, is a way to just kind of just look at all of those different assignments that I give students, look at the learning of them, and uh, all, all, you know, all the sort of day-to-day kind of you know things that that we on the daily challenges that we that we deal with. I try to cover, and I have a, actually offer a course for uh, for new teachers too. It's always like sort of felt lost as a new teacher. Um, I had different sort of mentors or people that helped me along the way uh, as a new teacher, but um, I think just like really sinking your teeth into the logic behind all of the the assignments and work and approach from from a teacher has been I've been doing this for 15 years now. Um, is, is really when you think about like your college degree I don't I don't think I I didn't do student teaching I took the alternate route so obviously in student teaching you have that opportunity but it's good to just get it again. I mean just one class with one teacher um, you know some of these people have been out of out of the classroom for a long time these professors uh, so I think it's really important to, 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 to hear from somebody who's like doing the you know the hard work of teaching um, and who's thinking about the art of teaching um, and how to make it work. So I, I do that course for, for, for new teachers as well. I try to think of as many topics that um, that I I would have wanted to sort of hear about 
Um, actually, I remember having a student teacher myself, and, and she was like, "How do you get them to uh, like to to all be at the same on the same page? Like, what do you do with when some kids are done working and some kids are just like beginning?" And it's funny because I didn't have an answer right away, but then I thought like, "Oh yeah, I I kind of I do this thing where I, I I I notice when the first people are almost done, I'll give the whole class like five minutes because I know they're going to be done in like one minute." But that gives everybody else like five minutes or whatever, maybe ten minutes, whatever it is, uh, to complete that that assignment. So there's just like a lot of little tricks like that um, that I guess I didn't that I kind of just acquired um, over the years. And obviously, I've been reading um, Teach Like a Champion and different books that have given me ideas. And so I just, just kind of compile all those ideas and put them in one place for new new teachers. So it's a really important thing to just reflect on, you know, what went well and and. Um, what went wrong and uh, over the course of the year and you know that's why I, I kind of that's part of the reason I wanted to make that course um, and it, if you take it over the summer you got yeah I think it's really great to take it over the summer when you have plenty of time to do it it's self-paced you can just you know do a lecture every night you know something like that um, and that that way you come into the fall with like all right I got all the, this arsenal of of different things that I'm gonna try this year and, and really get excited uh, about what you know, especially going from last year to next year, about like, you know, uh, being back in the classroom and having some really great ideas for projects. I think it would be a really great opportunity uh, to to gather, you know, and look at things fresh and and just kind of take a bird's eye view of, of what you're doing in your classroom, um, <laughs> like trying to get excited and also really to never forget. Uh, think about like how lucky we are. To have a job, I, and I remember one of my my supervisors kind of told me this one time. She was like, "Think about it. You have a job. Your job, like what you do every day, is to have amazing conversations about literature and the scheme of things." And yeah, I you know, of all the struggles and the th things that are difficult about teaching, like we ha we're really lucky to do what we do every day. It, it really is awesome. It's amazing, and it's just a pleasure and. Um, here to kind of celebrate that with everybody. Uh, thanks for listening.